today, and the reason why you're not going to have the whole scripture read ahead of time is because I'm going to read the entire passage as we go through it, is called How I Try to Live Biblically. I put a little subtitle of it also for myself, and I said, or as my wife once said, do I simply think in terms of sermons? One day I was talking to Gina early in our ministry and I was talking about something being a sermon illustration and she goes, do you just think your life in terms of sermons? Well, perhaps, and perhaps that's part of what you'll take from this message. I first started thinking about how we are going through the Bible in a year. And if you have fallen behind, it's okay. There's a daily reading for today. Pick it up today. That's all you need to do. There's cards out in the entryway. You can use one of them, or you can go to our podcast, and you can listen to Pastor David read it each day. But the intention is to help our congregation have a better overall knowledge of Scripture. And we've been going through recently this whole area of these historical books, and so we had a message on First and Second Samuel today. I'd like to have something out of First and Second Kings, and I've chosen a story in First Kings chapter 12. What I want to emphasize today is this is a different kind of message. I almost wanted to set up a table and my computer and some books around, because sort of what I want to show today is how I read the Bible. Make sense? How does your pastor read the Bible? When I sit down and read a passage, we talk about living biblically. What do I do? And I'm not going to speak in the first tense all the time. I'm going to say us. But the idea is to say, if we learn to read the scripture this way, then we start to understand what it means to live biblically. Because we talk about that, but sometimes people struggle with what exactly does that mean. The first thing you need to know about the Bible is the Bible is not one book. It's 66 books. It's a library. Hear that loud and clear? People always make a mistake when they go to Scripture and they think it's a book. It's a library. Isn't that great? You got your own library when you walk around. Or if you take, as we say, your smartphone and understand it to be your pocket Bible, you're holding a big library right there. The most important library, I would say, that's ever been put together. And that library of 66 books has different kinds of literature in it. Just like our life does. You know, even in our... In our congregation, I see hymnals here. That's a different form of, of literature or different kind of writing than if I pick up a sports magazine and read about the Celtics who are going to beat the Philadelphia 76ers tomorrow. That's a story for another day. Or the Bruins. You know, there's different kinds of things. Well, in the Bible, the different kinds of literature, you have poetry, like the Psalms and some other ones. You have wisdom literature, you have apocalyptic literature. You have letters. Letters are, I like to remind young people, are like emails or text messages. Remember those old days when we used to have um, paper and stamps and envelopes? Well, those are what the letters are. So we have all these letters in the New Testament. But there's also in Scripture, and I haven't gone through all the types of literature, one of them is historical stories. They're just narratives. They're these long stories that tell us things from history but they are not written just simply so we would understand what happened a long time ago. They're written so that they make a difference in our life. And so today what we're really going to look at is how to read and how to find what it means for us when I'm reading through one of these historical narratives. Maybe I'm reading about the Apostle Paul on his walk to Damascus. Maybe I'm reading 
about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Or maybe I'm reading, like I am today, about a guy named Rehoboam in the Old Testament. Whenever we look at a historical narrative, it's always important to know the context. Right? Context. Same thing with all of you. If I really want to know what you're thinking right now, I'd have to talk to you and I'd have to find out what you did before church and what you did after church. What got you here and, and you were thinking about before and what the things are that you're going to be doing later because our context makes a huge difference in life and it makes a big difference when we read something like a historical narrative. So what we find here is that three kings were gone. Israel, when it started with their first kings, had King Solomon, or Saul. He was followed by King David, and then there was King Solomon. So they had the three major kings, and all three of them were now passed away and had died, and they were not going to be coming back. So usually when I read something like that, or when we do that, we should try to think of, well, what does that kind of make me think of today? You know what I thought of? I thought of a press conference with Rick Pitino. One day, Rick Pitino was feeling bad about how the Celtics fans were all upset that the team wasn't doing well, and he had a famous saying. He sat there and he said, Larry Bird is not walking through the door. Robert Parrish is not walking through the door. Kevin McHale is not walking through the door. Now, what Rick Pitino was doing is he was being defensive over the fact that, hey, you got to give me an opportunity with the players that I have. But the point was, an era was gone, and now there was a new era. That's exactly what's taking place in 1 Kings chapter 12. So immediately, we ask ourselves a question, and maybe sometimes when we read something like this, we ponder this question for the rest of the day, and we don't move on beyond that. Once we come to that conclusion, you just read what's happened before, and you start thinking about it here, and we ask ourselves, how do I move on in life? How do I move on? Because we all have situations like that, don't we? Maybe a job's ended. Maybe kids have moved out of the house. Maybe something else has taken place in our lives and we need to learn to move on. Do we see it as an opportunity or do we become like Rick Pitino and compare to the past and get stuck with trying to be upset over the fact that things aren't what they used to be? Because when it's an opportunity to move on, it's also always an opportunity to embrace something new. Amen? Hear that? When there's a chance to move on, it's always an opportunity to embrace something new. What's God doing today? Where's God leading me? The theological foundation we have for what we're talking about in looking at the scripture is what we call biblical hermeneutics. There's a big term you didn't expect to, to have when we got to church. Well, biblical hermeneutics is how we interpret and apply a text to ourselves. We look at a biblical text of what happened and notice right now what I've already gone into. What does it mean for me? This is a story of moving on. What does it mean for me today to move on? What's it mean for our church to move on? Now, there's different kinds of hermeneutics. You can have a literal hermeneutic, which is pretty much what I'm laying out here. What did the story mean then? What did it say then? And how do I find the same meaning for me today? Some people, however would say that, no, the purpose of Scripture would be to find moral principles. The problem is then we kind of push God out when we go to seeing everything as just moral principles and how to live our lives. 
and pretty soon you turn the Bible into a self-help book. Some would say, well, no, it's all allegorical. It's all just kind of stories that are there to help us think about something different in our lives. Or the last one would be, and that's a nice word, anagogical. That means mystical, that there's some hidden truth in the Bible. The problem with that is a lot of the New Testament writers write against that and say that's a very dangerous thing to do, that I somehow have some secret knowledge that you don't have. So what we're talking about is just finding a plain message within the story And now what does it mean to me? And so today we're just going to look at how we look at a story about learning to move on. And that's why if you have your Bibles, you can certainly turn to 1 Kings 12, but I believe we'll also have the text in front of us each time. In chapter 12 of 1 Kings, the author begins with these words. Rehoboam went to Shechem, where all Israel had gathered to make him king. Now I'm sure that if you read that, you'll go, I have no idea what I just read. Amen? I'm going to try that again. I have no idea what I just read, right? Amen? Because first of all, I need to know what is a Shechem? Well, Shechem is a place where if we can go back and look at it in context, you can either go back and read earlier in scripture, or God has invented this cool little thing called Google. How many of you know what Google is? You raise your hand. Come on, you know what Google is? You type the word Shechem in, and it pops up, and it tells you, ooh, Shechem is a place. When Abraham went into the promised land, it's the first place he went, and he had, a t- he had a sacrifice to God there. And then you'll find out some other cool things happened there. So, okay, it's a place of starting over. So now you kind of are on to something. You're like, wow, I really am in a story about starting over. And then you also go, but who's this guy, Rehoboam? Well, you find out the same thing with him. You discover that he is Solomon's son. So you go, I get it. Okay, so this is a story about moving on. And what happened is the three kings have died. The final king is Solomon. And now his son, Rehoboam, goes to the place where they're going to start over. Makes us think about things happening in our life, doesn't it? Remember, this is how we read it for ourselves. We read that and we say, wait a second, things happen in my life. How do I handle them? My mom and dad passed away. I realized I was an orphan. My dad and my mom weren't going to be coming through the door and giving me advice anymore. I had times when that was hard for me. I also have other things that are really positive things. I got appointed to be the pastor of the church here and discovered there were a lot of things we had to deal with, but that was a new opportunity. How do we start looking at moving on? And then verse 2 goes on and says, When Jeroboam, son of Nabat, Heard of this, he returned from Egypt, for he had fled to Egypt to escape from King Solomon. And quickly then, if we go and we look up Jeroboam, we discover that he was one of King Solomon's servants. So now we get the picture. There's a guy named Rehoboam. His father's died. One of his father's servants, who quit getting along with his dad, had to leave and go to Egypt, and now he shows up. Ooh, mystery. (laughs) What's going to happen next? Kind of like our life, isn't it? You see, it's easy to get insecure when someone just shows up. Amen? You don't believe it? Let's try it. You're at work. Life is good. And somebody walks in and you say, good morning. And they say, hi, I'm your new boss. Ooh, life just got interesting. 
Or you're sitting at your desk and somebody new comes in and you say, hi, excuse me, hi, I'm your new coworker. All of a sudden, when things like that happen, we have an opportunity to look at our lives. It's easy to get insecure. How do we handle those transitions and those things that just come in our life when all of a sudden there's something new or somebody new who's there? Makes me think of when I was in seminary. Regina and I got married in Ohio. We had gone to Fort Wayne Bible College, nice little college where we knew everybody. And now we move to Gordon-Conwell Seminary, where we don't know anybody, and we move into married student housing, which we think means we're going to make a lot of friends, and much the opposite happened. We found that you are all a bunch of snobbish New Englanders, and you weren't interested in getting to know a couple of Midwestern couple. And we tried. We really tried. And we just felt like nothing worked. And then to make matters worse, a lot of the couples in married student housing had children, and we didn't have children. And it was a really lonely, difficult time in our life. And finally, one day, I took a class, not at Gordon-Conwell, but down at Boston University, and I had a couple other people who took the class with me, and I felt really good, because once a week, three of us would get in the car, and I would drive down to Boston, and all of a sudden, I felt like I had friends. Ever been like that, where all of a sudden, you're like, wow, I'm finally fitting in? Until one day, I was sitting in our apartment, and (laughs) knock came at the door. I opened the door, and a guy named Carlos said, Hi, I'm Carlos Atera. I hear you're going to a class down in Boston. I'm taking the same class. I just signed up for it. I'd like to go with you. I wanted to take the door and slam it in his face. What do you mean? I finally have a group of people that I like. (laughs) You're going to come and rain on my parade? You're going to come in, and you're going to interfere with what's going on? So I did the nice Midwestern thing, and I said... Sure, of course, we'd love for you to go. We're leaving tomorrow morning at whatever time. Here's the amazing thing. I have one friend from Gordon-Conwell. That's Carlos. He and his wife Esther just visited us about a year ago. We still stay in good contact. He prays for me, I pray for him. He just recently retired from a church in Florida. What do we do when those interruptions and those things happen in our life? That's what we start seeing here. Do we get insecure and slam the door in somebody's face? Or do we say, wait a second, maybe God has something here, and we pause and see what's going on. Next, we're told in verse 3 that the leaders of Israel summoned him, being Rehoboam, and Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel went to speak with Rehoboam. Your father was a hard master, they said. Lighten the harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father has imposed on us. Then we will be your loyal subjects. So now I pause, and I would ask us to pause at that point and say, whoa, what just happened? This guy Jeroboam shows up with a bunch of people from the north. And so you say, okay, I get it. This is taking place in Jerusalem, in the southern part of the kingdom, and the people from the north, along with this guy Jeroboam, show up, and they're frustrated. They come and they have an idea because they don't like something that's taking place. And they come and they tell the new king, listen, there's a problem in the kingdom. Up in the north, people feel like the Americans are going to feel, 1,800 years from now, taxation without representation. They just feel like you're taking a bunch of money from them. And listen, if you're wanting to keep your kingdom together, they say, do a simple little thing. Just listen to us, lighten the taxes, and we're going to love you forever. 
What do we do when somebody gives us advice? I find that as I pause and look at scriptures like that, I realize I make my best decisions when I'm open to listening to people. He didn't have to do what they said, but he had to pause and listen to them. I find that there are creative people out there all over the place who are willing to give us advice if we're willing to listen to it. You hear me? Everybody you run in contact with is not your enemy. They're not out to get you. If you and I learn to genuinely have conversations with people, we realize there's a lot of wise people out there who can give us a perspective that we don't have ourselves. And that's what this king all of a sudden had. An amazing opportunity to listen to people from the north who literally came in with this guy Jeroboam and said, listen, we can tell you how to be successful. I got a secret for you. Years ago, 2005, I became the pastor of, at the time, Plymouth United Methodist Church. I discovered a couple things about this church. One, the church had been through a tough time, and we needed to unify and move together. That was obvious. Another one, we had some major financial problems. We had to deal with that. But I discovered a third thing. When do new pastors come in? They come in in the summer. And I started realizing that people come all over the world to come here to Plymouth. Do you ever notice that? It's kind of a fun thing. I hadn't had that experience before. Not a lot of people go to Winemere, North Dakota and say, well, I checked that off my bucket list. <laughs> but if you'd like to, I can tell you the hotel to stay at. They have one in Winemere. And a great little restaurant, never mind. I saw it as an opportunity. So I went out and I bought a great big map. I don't know if any of you remember it. And I used to put it out here. And I invited people in the summer, June, July, and August. I'd say, if you're visiting from somewhere else in the country or in the world, put a pin on the map. Do you know what I really was doing? I was really identifying who people were, where they were from, because as soon as they'd put the pin on the map, I'd go up and I'd start talking to them. I'd find out the church they went to. I'd ask them the best ideas they had at the church. I'd ask them things that didn't go well at the church. And I learned more in those two summers from talking to people who came from different parts of the country than I ever would have had I just talked to the congregation. There are people who are always willing to give us advice. I still remember some of the best things that I was told. Also, a few years later, there was a couple that came. They were sitting right over here. They came to church. They talked to me. They tried to talk to other people. And they left. And they picked up one of my business cards. And two days later, they sent me an email. And they said, Reverend Cushing, I want you to know that you serve the most unfriendly congregation we've ever been into. We travel all over the country. We have an RV. We go to churches, and we didn't have a single person in your church talk to us. We tried to. We made it obvious that we were visitors, and still nobody talked. You talked to us, but not another person. Whoa, did I want to be defensive on that? I need to defend my congregation. But instead, I said in an email, would you mind me sharing this with the leadership of our church? They got back to us and they said, we'd be happy. The only reason we sent you this is we hope that we could help you because we're never going to be back in Massachusetts. So we shared that with the leaders in our church and shared it with our elder board and we put together an evangelism program in our church that changes how we meet people on Sunday. We get greeters outside. We have 
a welcome table. We have people identified as a welcome table. We do have people sit around different parts of the congregation hoping that if you're new and visiting, somebody will talk to you. Because you know what they gave us? Information that we wouldn't have had from the congregation who at the time, I started looking and I realized we had holy huddles all over our church. Everybody liked to see each other and we all like to do it. Let's all get in our little group and talk to each other all the while missing what Jesus asks us to do. Amen? Expand the kingdom and reach out to new people. Well, that's what Rehoboam is facing. Am I going to listen to people? That's what we face, folks. Are you going to listen to people in your lives who are willing to talk to you? Then we're told in verse 5, Rehoboam replied, Give me three days to think it over, then come back for my answer. So the people went away. What happened is Rehoboam started okay. That is the way to reply. If somebody comes up to you and says something to you, guess what, folks? We don't have to answer it immediately. We call it practice the pause. I like to put it this way. I never got myself into trouble when I kept my mouth shut. <laughs> How many of us identify with that statement? That's what we see here. So now Rehoboam, this king, has started out the right way. Verse 6, then Rehoboam discussed the matter with the older men who had counseled his father Solomon. What's your advice, he asked him. How should I answer these people? The older counselors replied, if you're willing to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer, they'll always be your subjects. Yes, there were loyal, wise leaders who wanted things to go well. Do we realize that in our lives? You are a blessed person if you're here today because there are wise people in this congregation who care deeply about you. And if you're struggling with something, ask someone, get to know someone, have them pray for you, talk to them, just like Rehoboam did. You see, most people genuinely want the best for others. So the question then becomes, how do I respond when I go and ask somebody a question? Do you know what I notice a lot of times when people ask me a question? Hi, Pastor Stan, I have a question about something. I answer it, they start arguing back with me. You know what I usually say? Do we want effective or do we want to rant? Because if somebody's coming just to complain about somebody else, I'm willing to listen to it. But if you're coming and asking me a question of, hey, I'm struggling with something and how do I get along with somebody, listen. Take it in. Remember, we can practice a pause. We don't have to do it immediately. But how do we respond when we go and we ask for advice? Do I ask people to reinforce my own thinking? Or am I open to new perspectives? Way back in 1990, I knew everything, at least everything about being a parent. Do you know why? My son was 11 months old. I was a parent. I was an expert. I had an 11-month-old. I remember thinking so many amazing things, like how we were going to do it perfect. We're never even going to argue with this kid. Boy, that really didn't work very well. <laughs> Woman in our church named Cindy came to me, parent of children who were older. She said, Pastor Stan, I've talked to some other parents in the Sunday school, and we think it'd be a good idea to put together a one-room schoolhouse. Well, I had preconceived notions of how I wanted Sunday school for my kids. And so I said, no. She said, well, wouldn't you at least think about it? It's, I, I think it would really work. Like, we could have different people come. We could have fun games, do all kinds of stuff. I said, yeah, not a good idea. 
You know what's interesting? That woman's idea in 1990 is a standard for how Sunday school is run today. Get kids, have fun, bring them together, get them in a bigger group. Don't always separate everybody into smaller groups. And it's a standard. Mega churches use that model. What did I do? Dismissed it before it even got out of her mouth. Because we want advice, but really a lot of times, do we want advice or do we want somebody just to reinforce our own thinking? I'm aware in my life I have a lot of places where I can go to advice. I have an elder board, an associate pastor, a program staff, pastoral staff, parishioners, other pastors. Do we go and look at a text like this and say, I want to learn to live biblically, so I want to learn to say these things help me understand that if I need advice, I need to pause and listen because God puts people in my life for the purpose of helping me make decisions. Amen? Amen. We're not just accidental people bouncing around this planet. Then my favorite word in the Bible. Take this as a pastor stand absolute. When the word but appears, it usually means people are going to make a bad decision. <laughs> Honey, I will take the trash out and I will wash the dishes but, and ba 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 ba, let me tell you all the 25 things that are wrong in your life. We do the same thing today. So now everything's going along well, but. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men and instead asked for the opinions of the young men who had grown up with him. And they were now his advisors. Verse 9. What is your advice? He asked them. How should I answer these people who want me to lighten the burdens imposed by my father? Rehoboam wasn't open to the advice of experienced leaders. He didn't want to hear what wise people said. He wanted to know what his frat buddies said from college. And half of them had flunked out of college, but he didn't care. He thought, hey, they're going to tell me what I want to hear. And that too often is what we do. We surround ourselves with people who are just giving us the same opinion. And we need to learn to say, if everybody just is reinforcing our idea... It's not very valuable. My wife's famous saying when we get into an argument is she looks at me and says, you know, if I had the same idea as you did, there wouldn't be any use for one of us, would there? <laughs> the young man replied, ha! let's go watch a couple football games. Let's go tailgating. Let's talk about how stupid these people are from the north anyhow. They don't know what they want. That's not really in the text, but I added that. This is what you should tell those complainers who want a lighter burden. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make it even heavier. My father beat you down with whips. I'm going to beat you down with scorpions. Rehoboam wasn't open to advice of experienced leaders. All he wanted to hear was the people who were his buddies who grew up with him. He didn't want wisdom in his life. Garth Rosell, one of my professors at Gordon-Conwell, said, and I quote him, listen to those who don't like you. Often they're the only people who are willing to tell you the truth. If all we are is listening to the same people all the time, all we do is become an echo chamber. And I'm not saying I have to change my opinion for everybody else, 
But if I'm able to listen with godly wisdom and pray and be thoughtful and listen to what people are saying, there is amazing gems that people will share in your life. God is a sovereign God. God works through people that you have no idea who they are. Pastor David preached about Ittai. He was a guy who was the most unlikely of people because, remember, he was a Philistine like big Goliath who killed the Israelites, but he was willing to be helpful. We don't know who the people are that God is going to use in our lives. Are we willing to listen? Are we willing to slow down our brain Put cotton in our mouth, take it out of our ears, as my coach used to say, and listen to what people have to say to us. Because when we do, we start discovering that as long as we're basing our lives on biblical truth, God is putting people in our lives who will give us wisdom and help us to make wise decisions. Verse 12. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people reached hurt to hear Jeroboam's decision just as the king had ordered them. But Rehoboam spoke harshly to the people, for he rejected the advice of the older wise counselors and followed the counselor of his younger advisors. He told the people, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I'll beat you with scorpions. Do you know what I read there? A guy who was afraid of conflict couldn't have the difficult decisions and couldn't have the difficult conversations. Have you ever noticed that? When we are uncomfortable with something, we just blurt out something that we shouldn't say. Same thing is true with others. It's hard to have difficult conversations. It was okay for Rehoboam to talk to the people, even to share with them what he wanted to say and keep the dialogue going, but instead he became a jerk. Do you know what it means when we're a jerk? It means we're insecure does not mean we're comfortable with conflict. It means we're not comfortable with conflict. Because when we're living godly lives and we're completely submitted to the Holy Spirit, we're able to have those difficult conversations. When we're just being self-centered, when we're caught in our own thinking, we become like Rehoboam. Let me tell you about the worst day of my life as being a father to my son Todd. A lot of times I'll talk about positive things that happen in my life, well, here's a pretty bad one. My son had the car, and he was supposed to meet me somewhere. And I'd gone out for a run, and I was expecting him to meet me. I didn't have a cell phone or anything. And I finished my run, and my son wasn't there. And I started getting upset. And I was only over at Martin Park. It was only a mile away, but I walked home. And you can tell by the time I got home, I was really ticked off at this kid for not picking me up. And I got into the driveway and then drives my son in, big smile on his face, gets out of the car, and I just lit into him. He stops and he looks at me and goes, thanks, Dad. I had a really important thing I needed your advice on today. He said, it's really been troubling me, and I've been thinking about asking you and talking to you about it, and now I'm going to take a walk. It would have been okay for me to say, hi, son. I did expect you a little bit ago, and I'm sorry. It's okay to have a conversation. But just lighting into somebody, that's a fear of conflict. That's our own ego. That's our own stuff coming out. And I still go back, and he'll now kind of laugh about that. He goes, yeah, that was a pretty bad day. That was a pretty bad parenting, Dad. 
But how often do we do that in our lives? How often do we become like Rehoboam? Imagine how different it would have been if you just had a conversation with the people and kept the conversation going, saying, you know, I've sought advisors and I have different advice and this is what I'm thinking of and allowed the conversation to continue going. But instead, verse 15 says, the king paid no attention to the people. In fact, this turn of events was the will of the Lord for it fulfilled the Lord's message to Jeroboam, son of Nabath, through the prophet Abijah in Shiloh. When Israel realized that the king had refused to listen to them, they responded, down with the dynasty of David. We have no interest in you, son of Jesse. Back to your homes, O Israel. Look out for your own houses, O David. So the people of Israel, people of the north, returned home, but Rehoboam continued to rule over the Israelites who lived in the towns of Judah. The dialogue was over before it began. It could not have gone any worse. When we face those difficult conversations, we look at that and we say, this is an example of how not to live our lives. The Bible is giving me a person who is anxious and full of anger and frustration. God wants us to learn to be non-anxious presence in those difficult conversations. And God has given us spiritual tools for having difficult conversations. Pray before I have a tough conversation with someone. If that hasn't worked, go for a walk. If that hasn't worked, listen to others before I have the conversation. Then read the scripture. If I'm still not in a space to have the conversation, pray some more, walk some more, pause some more. Don't become a Rehoboam. Because when we become a Rehoboam and we just become the jerk, the people of the north take off and they go, I don't want anything to do with you. And now the guy's left with half his kingdom. He's still the king. But half the kingdom is gone, and it never reunites again. Verse 18, when Rehoboam sent Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labor camp, to restore order, but the people of Israel surrounded him to, and stoned him to death. When the news reached King Rehoboam, he quickly jumped into his chariot and fled Israel. And to this day... The northern tribes of Israel have refused to be ruled over the descendants of David. Things were really bad in the kingdom. The people from the north said, you are an arrogant man and we're not going to listen to you. We're out of here. And what does he do? He sends in the big guns. He thinks, oh, if being a tough guy hasn't worked, I'm going to double down and I'm going to take the toughest, meanest, nastiest guy and I'm going to send him up there and tell you what to do. And then it was just a permanent split. Our anger and our getting mad at people, our not letting the Holy Spirit work in people's lives doesn't work, folks. It's not how to live our lives. We're seeking to live biblical and godly lives to allow the Holy Spirit to transform our conversations and our difficult conversations. Now it was time to move on. The big shot in charge of the labor camps not only had failed, they'd killed the guy. And they said, listen, we are a new nation. There is a time in life to learn to move on. That is at that point what Rehoboam should have done. He should have said, well, we blew it all, but we still have half our kingdom. We better do the best we can. But instead, he tries to double down. When I leave churches, and I've had that opportunity three different times in my life, and no, this is not an announcement about leaving the church, because I'm not. 
But when I leave a church, you know the first principle I live by? I don't tell the congregation anything that I think they need to correct. It's not the time to do it. When it's time to move on, it's time to move on and just celebrate the good things that we've done. It's a time to talk about how wonderful our memories are and what are the things that we've accomplished and how God has a bright future for them and a bright future for myself and our family. And that's what Rehoboam forgot. There's times in our lives where we need to learn to move on, but if all we can do is double down and try to grab the past, we're not going to be able to see God's blessing in our lives. Amen? Amen. Because like Rehoboam, we may be facing things in our personal lives or in our work, or in our families, that we just need to be able to accept the fact that we've moved on, and that's okay. That's part of our life. When the people of Israel learned of Rehoboam's return from Egypt, they called an assembly who made him king over Israel, so only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the family of David. Separation happened, and now there were two kingdoms, Where there had been one big nation, now there were two. Separation isn't necessarily, however, a bad thing. It's just a different thing. Do you hear that? Separation isn't necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes it's just a different thing. It's a new opportunity in our life. And that's what Rehoboam and Jeroboam and the people of Judah of the north, or the people of Judah of the south and people of Israel in the north were invited to understand. Now let's look for God's blessing and God's promise as things go in new directions because that's what God wants us to do in our lives. But go back to verse 15 as we conclude our message. This turn of events was the will of the Lord for the Lord had fulfilled his message to Jeroboam, son of Nabat, through the prophet Ahijah at Shiloh. You see, years before, God had already prophesied that there were going to be two nations, and people didn't understand how that was going to happen. Now, I am not saying that it happened according to how God wanted it to happen, because it could have been done a much different way, but in the end, having two nations wasn't a bad thing. Go check out the Old Testament. The prophets all come from the north. And great kings and leaders come from the south. And somehow through God's divine mystery and the ways in which God works in our life, sometimes when things separate and things move on, we start seeing God's blessing in all areas. King Rehoboam was still king. He was just now over the south. King Jeroboam was now king. He was just king over the north. It got me thinking and I... I always try to do this when I look at a text. Not only how do we live it, but how do we see it applied in our world today or recently? It made me think of 1935. In 1935, two guys met in Akron, Ohio, Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson. And they started an organization that's known as Alcoholics Anonymous to help people who are alcoholics. And that work that they did just started to spiral positively all over the country and, in fact, all over the world. And by 1953, there were AA groups and, and, and central service agencies set up all over the country. By that time, in Massachusetts, you could attend a group. You could find one in North Dakota. You could find one in Arkansas. And you could find one in Los Angeles, California. And that's important. Because 18 years later... In Los Angeles, California, there were a group of people who were not alcoholics, they were drug addicts. 
and they started attending AA meetings, and now there was a problem. Because the people who were just alcoholics, who had never done drugs, didn't want them talking about their drugs. And the people who were getting off of drugs and needing support wanted to talk about it, and they didn't mind that other people were talking about alcohol, but a rift happened. And the two groups went two different directions. And Narcotics Anonymous was born, and then there was Alcoholics Anonymous. And for many people, that didn't make sense. Why couldn't these two groups work together until an opioid epidemic hit our country? And all of a sudden, everybody recognizes that there needs to be a place for people who need to go to a Narcotics Anonymous group where they can get off of drugs and be able to deal with that. Isn't it amazing? What looked like two groups of people who couldn't get along with each other really became God's blessing. And a way in which, in Faith Community Church, go check out your bulletins or your website, whatever we have to put it on, the church calendar, and you'll see we have AA groups and we have an NA group. Because sometimes separation, folks, in our life is just separation. But the question is always, can we move on? Do we learn to read the scriptures in our lives in such a way that we can take stories like this and say, where does God want me to learn to move on? Where am I struggling? As we end our service and we have our final song, if you're struggling with moving on in your life, if there's something that you just need to let go of and move beyond, I invite you to do the bold act of coming forward for prayer. We pray that God would help us to deal with the things we need to deal with. I invite members of our elder board if they would please come forward. I'd also ask Pastor Lori if you wouldn't mind to come forward to help. And if you'd like somebody to pray with you. There are times we need to learn from stories like this. Maybe we've done something in our life that we feel bad about and I say, you know, I caused this problem that's okay. There's healing for that, and there's ways to get beyond it. Maybe there's something in my life that I need to deal with just to learn to let go, that God would do his work. I invite you now also to stand as we close our service with our final song.